this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. By supporting the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing, you can get free bonus episodes and audiobooks. In this episode, I feature an interview from John Martin, who sailed across the Bering Sea from Alaska to Siberia in a Walker Bay 8. Uh, this is an amazing story. I don't recommend trying to repeat this feat. And I will just say about Mr. Martin that he was a desperate man. And we go into that partially in the interview, but not entirely. And you should not try this at home, kids. I suspect if I asked him about the things in his past that he regrets, he would have said he regretted them greatly. And he's paid his debt to society for those things. This is the sailing podcast. I don't see any reason to go into his background. If you want to learn about that, you can Google him. Key point of the story is he didn't have a passport and he wanted to be reunited with his wife and son in China. So he tried to sneak into China with a Walker Bay A dinghy with a sail kit. Okay, so in this episode 58, I'll just recap a few things that happened with the Golden Globe race since we've been following it and I've been covering that. I did the finishing videos for Uku Randama, who finished third, and Istvan Kopar. Uku, I think since we last talked, got a 72-hour sanction uh, for weather routing, so you're not allowed to have people tell you where to go over the weather. You know, my general opinion on the the whole retro rules is that it has made people like Rhonda Ma and all the other Golden Globe participants less self-sufficient than they otherwise would be. That they are dependent on ham operators who have to uh, cater to them uh, for very long hours, uh, very time-consuming to give them weather reports in ways that don't violate the Golden Globe race rules. And in this case, Rhonda Ma did violate it. The Estonian skipper who finished third, who was, by the way, was the third person to finish with a Rustler 36 sailboat, which seems to be the sailboat for that race. So if they didn't have the satellite ban, then you wouldn't have to have so many man hours hundreds if not thousands of man hours of ham operators to give essentially personalized weather forecasts to these gentlemen to meet them at a specific time. So in all the times that I've used weather routers, right, I typically have been using two weather routers a season. I have never talked to them. The last time I talked to a weather router was back in the Bahamas right before my first Gulfstream crossing. And that was like a five-minute conversation, if that. Uh, you could hear what got, got Rhonda Ma sanctioned and it got a 72-hour time penalty that in the end didn't make a difference. It was like Rhonda Ma saying, should I go east? And the guy said yes. But the rest of the long call where the, the, the ham operator is trying to recreate a grip file, essentially, over the, the ham airwaves is just ridiculous. I mean, there was not that kind of weather detail when the 68 racers, when Sir Robin Knox Johnson was the only one to finish. He did not have that kind of ham support that these racers have. And so the whole retro rules, the ban of the satellite technology, 
technology that would give them grip files. And I guess the, the ban of Pactor modem technology, which also could give them grip files, is is just not recreating anything, but it's making these sailors much more dependent on people ashore than I would be if I used my Iridium Go and, you know, pulled a few grip files a day. I typically am not going to contact my weather router more than every three days at sea, but, you know, these Golden Globe racers that finished I think they were having like a, a ham call, a lengthy ham call a day, if not a couple times a day. All right. So anyways, good for Uku. Good for Mark Slats, who finished second. Um, good for Istvan Kopar, who finished fourth. Um, both Slats and Kopar, and also, thirdly, the winner, Van and Heat, were all sanctioned for illegal satellite phone usage and got time penalties for that. You know, the only person that was kicked out of the race for satellite phone usage was the guy that led the race for most of the time that he was in it, was Philip Pesce. Uh, consequently, Golden Globe announced that everyone who started is going to be at the prize-giving ceremony, except for Tapio Lennington, who's still at sea in fifth place, except for Philip Pesh, who is not going to be able to make it to the prize-giving ceremony, uh, perhaps because he felt like he was mistreated. All these other people who got time penalties but were not eliminated from the race who used sat, their sat phones. And the really, the race leader, he was in second place when he dropped out with some steering problems. Uh, he appealed to, to get a time penalty so he could continue on, uh, at least in the Chichester class, and he was not allowed to do that. Peche is a Jules Verne trophy winner, the fastest sail around the world at the time, selling his Golden Globe boat. On Kopar, the Delray Beach, Florida native, Hungarian-born skipper, completed in fourth place. He was the first non-Rustler 36 owner to finish, and it took him 263 days at sea. Given that he finishes, will finish in uh, over 312 days, the time that it took Sir Robin Knox Johnston to finish the 1968-69 Golden Globe race. It has a terrible barnacle problem has, and has decided to not dive his hull to take off the barnacles, so it could take a while. He's not expected in until May 2019. Uh, this is the March 2019 episode of the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast, episode 58. You can see those videos about Uku and Slats and Vandenheed and also about Istvan Kopar on the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube channel. And indeed, the interview that you're going to hear today premiered on the, the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube channel. I was so Somewhat surprised it did not get more views than it did uh, because it's such an amazing story. But I don't know, it didn't get a huge amount of press coverage. John Martin is known in Anchorage, Alaska, his hometown, uh, but he, he, it wasn't a national or international story. I guess it was an international story in Russia, uh, but it didn't really break through uh, to the rest of the U.S.
The other story that I've been following on the YouTube channel is the story of this cruise ship, this 749-foot cruise ship called the Viking Sky, which in 2017 was first launched. So it's a pretty much brand new luxury cruise ship. It's going on something called a Northern Lights Cruise, which is basically port hopping along the rocky western Norwegian coast. And they went out during a weather bomb, according to some meteorologists, which is where the pressure drops something like one millibar per hour or something like that. And it was definitely gale force conditions when they were out uh, and up to eight meter seas. Although some reports say that there were, you know, 50, 60, 80 foot seas recorded during this period, but maybe not where they were. And there were gusts of hurricane force that were recorded across the Norwegian coast. So, you know, I mean, it, it seems to me from this incident where they, they lost all power supposedly because of uh, insufficient oil in the engines due to sloshing around uh, that, that set off alarms that shut down the engines that they didn't realize that the boat lost all power. It was very close to a, a lee shore. The wind was blowing the wind and waves, blowing them onto the shore. They were able to deploy their anchors uh, and they were within something like a hundred meters of of hitting the rocks on the western coast of of Norway. About half the passengers, 479 passengers, were airlifted off the boat. They called a mayday after they lost all their engines. They got one engine working, and they were able, after 20 hours of only one engine working, they were able to get three engines working. They called off the mayday and the airlift, and they were able to get towed into port as the conditions eased from gale force to, you know, fresh breeze or something like that. And uh, they were towed into Molde. Nobody died. About three dozen people were admitted to the hospital. Chairs were flying around. So this was covered by everybody. All the news outlets covered this, and we covered it at Slow Boat Sailing. You can see those videos about the Mayday, the airlift, and the investigation into what caused it on the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube channel. So I think it's interesting that the big ships, you know, have a lot of the issues that the small sailboats have, that big seas can lead to your engines dying on you more likely. And unlike the sailboats, you don't have the sails and you're in big trouble. So I think they need to think about, you know, what weather conditions that particular boat can take. There was a there was another ship, a 300-foot ship that came to assist, uh, which is called the Captain Haglund, and that one also lost its engine power. All its crew were evacuated, and it was left at anchor. It did not sink, thankfully, as the condition de- eased. I think they're going to be able to save that boat, but everybody evacuated that boat. They thought they were all going to die, too. I'm... Uh, Still interviewing for crew members. I'm getting close to making an offer, I think, uh, at least for one crew member. But I'll probably have one other crew position available for this summer. Telling you what I'm looking for, and I think most of my listeners don't have the schedules that could allow this. But I'm looking for somebody that can make a six-week commitment. That is, they don't have to. They don't have a two-week vacation. They have to have 
six week, two months that they don't go to work, that they're on the boat. Uh, the other thing that I'm looking for is non-smokers. I only interview non-smokers. I also only interview individuals. I don't inter interview couples uh, for the crew position. So if you would like to sail from Tonga to Fiji to Vanuatu and New Caledonia in May and June of this year, 2019, send me an email and we'll set up a phone interview and uh, go through the process. But I'm, I'll tell you, I'm really picky about who I'll invite on because it's easy to watch the videos. It's harder to be on the boat. Okay, so my email is linuswilson, all one word, at outlook.com. And if you're interested in the position, go ahead and send me that email. I'm not going to put it in the show notes because I don't want to get all the spam emails. So you'll have to write that down from memory. We have no sponsor for this podcast. So I'm going to talk about my books books really quick. Uh, if you want to see how I started sailing, hear how I started sailing, Slow Boat to the Bahamas is a funny look at getting the sailing itch and going out on the big trip with a four-year-old and a four-pound dog. I'm doing a free day today, March 29th, 2019, for Sailing the Ogre by Mabel M. Stock. Download a free copy at Amazon if you get this message before the end of March. March 29th, 2019, Sailing the Ogre takes you from England to the Kingdom of Tonga in the interwar years. And this was one of the first sailing yachts to transit the Panama Canal. Now, you can get all the audiobooks of Sailing the Ogre, Slow Boat to Cuba, How to Sail Around the World Part-Time, and Sailing to Treasure Island by Captain J.C. Voss. By pledging as little as $5 on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Okay, here's the interview with John Martin, who sailed a Walker Bay 8 dinghy from Alaska to Siberia. I read about your story, and I was just really intrigued. I, we have a Walker Bay on our boat with the sailing kit, and... Uh, I was just so impressed by your uh, sailing trip, and I just wanted to hear the story. Okay. Well, I can tell you, first of all, that Walker Bay is quite a boat, and I, I picked it for the journey because of the um, stability ring, the inflatable ring, and the fact that it had a pretty nice sailing package. And, um, yeah, I, I was really impressed. It, it did quite well. Uh, the Yukon River had its own challenges when it came to weather. You know, it did fine on the river and it did fine in the sea. So where were you when you started the journey in the Walker Bay? When I put in into the Tanana River, which um, was basically my entry point according to the road system. So I had a friend uh, drive me up to Manana where the Tanana uh, meets the road. And, and I took the Tanana to the Yukon and I took the Yukon to the sea. And so it took me four weeks to, to reach the Bering Sea and then two weeks to cross. Are there a lot of rapids in the Yukon and the Tanana? I wouldn't say rapids. Um, it's all depending on the weather. So if the weather's calm, then I would say there's nothing like a rapid. Um, but it's such a big river that when the wind kicks up, it can get quite rough. I believe it. So why did you uh, want to start so far inland on the Walker Bay? Was that just the, your best means of transportation? Well, in Alaska, there are no roads that reach the sea. So the road system is it's really doesn't reach the interior or the western coast 
How big was your Walker Bay? It was the eight footer, which is the smaller one that they make, and I purposely chose the smallest one for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is um, to you know try to be undetected since I was trying to reach China without documents, and the other was to be light enough that I could handle it myself in case I needed to pull it up the beach or something, uh, especially on the the area of the river reaching the sea. So did you have any problems before you got to uh, the uh, Bering Straits and the ocean? Minor problems. I had a couple times I was pinned down onto the uh, riverbank where I couldn't uh, get off the shore due to the wind being too strong. And it was uh, challenging a few times to just to get back into the water since the wind was, was pretty fierce. And then I did break my rudder, which was really as a result of my own um, inexperience. I had raised my keel a couple of times when I got into shallow enough water where my keel was touching, which then that meant that my rudder was sticking out lower than the keel. So I ended up um, hitting ground a couple of times, and I'm sure that's why I broke my rudder, broke, broke the, the rudder hinge. And it sounds like it was very cold too, right? What what time of year were you sailing in well, the, I got to the river? On August 1st. And I was far enough north that there was still snow standing where the drifts had not melted out yet. And it was quite cold, you can say, especially as I was heading, getting pushed north on the Bering Sea. So you didn't, you know, I mean, when you even when you beach the boat on the river, it's pretty cold to, you know, dip your toes in the water. I mean, it's all relative. I certainly um, had my toes in the water plenty of times. I, I wore only sandals because I figured if I was wearing boots, the water would easily come over the top. So I just wore sandals. So I was feet in the river um, every time I hit shore. Okay. You'd lived in Alaska for how long? Lived here most of my life. You wanted to cross the Bering Sea from Alaska to Asia to go to China. Is You, you have a wife and, and some kids there? Is that right? My wife and my son. My um, wife and son are in China, and I've not seen them since 2007, other than like video chat and internet. And you don't have a passport? You've had trouble getting a passport? Is that part of the reason why you wanted to take the Walker Bay? Yeah, the fact was that I uh, lost my passport while I was in China due to being behind on child support for my first marriage. So once they took the child support, then it put me in a situation where in order to get my passport back, I would have had to get caught up on the child support, but by then I was in a pretty big hole, and when they took my passport, it just put me in a bad spot with um, all the business that I had, everything that I had achieved to that point uh, was lost, so it just left me with the hole to recover from, and you can say I've never recovered from that. So, how old is your son? He's 12 now. Okay. What city did you set off from in the Walker Bay? to uh, Russia and China. Yeah, where we launched the, the boat was Nanana. So my friend drove me from Anchorage, which is like a six-hour drive probably. And so when when I left by boat, it was in the Tanana River from Nanana. Okay. And what uh, was it like sailing in the Pacific Ocean in a, a Walker Bay 8? Well, I tell you, I had no sailing experience when I bought the boat, so I tried to myself by going out on some lakes and some rivers here in Alaska, but certainly just getting onto the Tanana River, I was really learning how to sail for four weeks while I got to the Bering Sea. So fortunately, 
Did you have very much water with you or food with you? to catch water but you didn't really end up catching very much Okay, so when you were sent out to sea, you really only had the grape juice? The grape juice, about a gallon of water by that point, because I lost pretty much everything else. And you were at sea for how many days before you hit land when you left Alaska? Fourteen days, two weeks, until I actually hit Russian land. And you were becalmed for part of that time? Oh, okay, the first 11 days, there was really good wind. It wasn't too rough, it was just a nice, solid wind, so that I was able to keep maintaining headway, but after 11 days, it just flat calmed down to nothing, which I had expected from what little bit of understanding I had from the weather patterns, but what I wasn't prepared for is how fast the current could take me in three days. So it took me in three days from below St. Lawrence Island all the way up into basically to the Bering Strait, which was significantly farther than what I had gained in the 11 days of travel with wind. Okay, so it was pushing you north? Pushing me north, further north than what I started. So it, in um, three days, it pushed me north like twice as far as from where I had started. So the current kind of runs north through that Bering Strait. And... On that side, on the west side, it does. I think on the east side, it, it's um, coming more southern, but um, by the time I got to the more western side of the, Bar of the Bering Sea, it was definitely pushing north. So when you hit Siberia, you were you were pretty far north. You were like in the like the western tip of Siberia. Is that right? Well, I don't know what they consider Siberia, um, but Russia, like the mainland of Russia, where I actually touched land, was essentially in the Bering Strait. By by the time I had 
reached land, I was staring down the Diomede Island. So I knew I was pretty far north by the time I touched land. But I was still in the Bering Sea. I hadn't gotten pushed through into the Arctic Ocean. You needed water at that point. You were pretty thirsty. At that point, I was down to a couple cups of water. About a day or two, I had just kind of was taking a little more cautious approach to water, but I hadn't really started really like saving water yet. So did, were you able to meet some people there in uh, Siberia? Okay, so the place where I, where I touched land, I, um, as it turned out, I got soaked in the surf. It was really rough water coming ashore. I thought, you know, if I can get onto shore and then once the weather calms down, then I would be on my way. In the surf, I got caught in the surf, got really wet, and there was no way I was getting off that beach until the weather cleared. So I started looking for shelter, and I found a little village there. And there was a family who was living there, or at least on their summer camp or, or whatever the situation was. I smelled uh, smoked salmon, so I knew somebody was there, and I just um, made it uh, interactive with them, got their attention, and they, um, they invited me in, fed me, um, put my stuff to the fire to dry, uh, let me sleep in their bed. They just really took care of me. And at the same time, they notified the officials that there was, you know, like some kind of a situation. They, they didn't speak English and I didn't speak Russian. So um, that was when the border security became involved. So for your sea voyage of 14 days, did you have any really big seas and bad weather? Were you ever in danger of being capsized or was it a pretty mild? I never in any real danger, but on the last day, when I was really close to shore, where the wind was funneling around the point of land that I came to, it got extremely rough, too rough for the boat, and the wind would be pushing so hard on the sail that the boat just didn't seem to be able to handle it, and then the wind would just shift so fast that the, that the sail would just whip across to the other side, and it just seemed like it would just tear the boat apart. I, it did end up breaking something in the way of like a some kind of a catch on the on the lower boom, um, but it held up until I got to shore, and if I would have had to, I would have had to make a repair before I left again, but, you know, that was the roughest time, really the only severely rough weather. I mean, there was plenty of rough weather along the way that was had its own challenges, but that was the really the moment of extreme weather that I experienced. So maybe you had worse weather in the Yukon River than in the Bering Sea? Worst weather, that was the worst weather right there. Okay. That was the worst weather I experienced was on that point as I was coming into Russia on the day that I made landing. Extreme wind and weather. What day was that? It would have been the August 1st. Okay, so still pretty much summer. That same morning. And then the Russians detained you because you didn't have a passport? Well, you know, first of all, I didn't have a passport. Um, obviously didn't have any visa or anything. Didn't enter through a point port of entry. And so at that point, they just detained me. The border security detained me. And they like looked into the matter. And so right off the bat, they within just, I think, three days, they determined that it wasn't a criminal situation because I entered under like, emergency situation. So their their law had it accounted for certain situations. And so they declined to press anything like criminal charges. But they did fine me for something like, I forget, it was about 30 U.S. dollars. It was a pretty small fine. And then um, they were trying to figure out how to send me out of the country, but I didn't have any uh, documents to travel, so they couldn't put me on an airplane. So they tried charging me with being in the country illegally, but the court said I wasn't guilty because I was being held against my will. So they ended up charging me a second time, and the same result came back, 
that, there's somehow they got into the higher courts and did some appeal and came back around and ended up charging me with being in the country without documentation, and it, which is pretty minor when you consider it's not criminal. The charge, it was just administrative offense punishable by deportation. At that point, they sent me to Moscow, put me in their deportation center for about six weeks, and then sent me back. And the boat is still in Russia? It is. Um, the last day when they were getting ready to move me out of the area to send me to Moscow, they delivered the boat back to me, and I had been prepared just to walk away from the boat anyway, so I really wasn't too worried about it, but I didn't know what to do with it. But as it turned out, somebody suggested donating it to the museum, and that's where the boat is now. It's in the museum in the Chukotka region, the city of another. You're back in Alaska now. Where in Alaska are you? Anchorage. Okay. Okay, and you're you're working on a book about your story. Yes, and I posted. I've been posting it uh, on my website, so you could read like the first eight chapters, um, which all of the first chapters are events leading up to. I still have several chapters before I get to crossing the Bering Sea. If you've read some of the news, you're probably aware that some of the things that I've been involved in in the recent years have been a bit controversial. So all that in my book as well. Do you have a another plan to to see your wife and child? Well, if I can publish the book uh, and make some money in the process, then maybe I can get my passport back. I'm not sure when I'm going to come out with the next episode. Until we speak next time, I'm Linus Wilson, and you've been listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.